0: Andrew and we are your hosts of the Two vague podcast this week one word two hosts stories trivia and video games true that was the intonation what I'm sorry what
1: <laughs> I said true that I don't know I just thought I, I should that. say something I'm on this podcast too yo we're gonna win a Peabody
0: all you gotta do, all you got to do is just yo <laughs> yo right
1: that's totally me I'm a yo guy yo guy <laughs> the yoga right i drove through philly once yeah yo (laughs) how's the parenting going oh man i'm a parent again yeah yeah i I had a new little uh little bairn born to me household yeah a few weeks ago uh she's pretty great she's pretty darn cute which um you know that's a real bonus sometimes they come out kind of you know, you get a little Ed Asner all of a sudden, but no, she she looks pretty <laughs> cute. <laughs> what are you saying about Ed Asner? I'm saying some babies look like him. Look like <laughs> when they're born. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Nothing against Ed Asner. I always, I uh, yeah.
0: If there was a name for that condition, what would it be?
1: Uh. I can't think of... Asnerism. Asnerism. (laughs) Sorry, ma'am, your baby has a mild case of Asnerism. Should clear up by the age of three.
0: Yes, watch these episodes of... uh, What's her name?
1: Uh, Mary Tyler Moore Show. Watch watch these episodes (laughs) of
0: Mary Tyler Moore Show to get you familiar with what you're in for. So you've been playing lots of parenting games, I guess. Yeah, the
1: parenting game. Yeah, it's it's a constant cycle of, uh, you know, three-hour rotation of feeding the diapering the putting back to sleep then yeah, it happens again and sometimes she's awake for a little bit
0: when does that stop when does it start uh, being like a normal human schedule um, or does it
1: they never become normal no no, no. um <laughs> they didn't put that in the manual they didn't even
0: my baby's first words is i want to watch late night what the heck is that?
1: Yeah. No, there, there's some stuff. Like the first the first step is getting them up to weight. Mm. So get the baby up to a good weight where baby doesn't need to eat as constantly because, you know, they're little and their stomachs don't hold a lot. And then they grow a little bit. Their stomachs get bigger. And then they can hold enough, you know, in one feeding to keep them going for a few hours. So, right. Right. I think that usually by like 10 or 12 weeks, they, they get to a point where you can get them to sleep longer at nighttime if, if you're smart and diligent.
0: Well, I have been uh, playing games. Sweet. One of which I will talk about in our second half in more detail, but still playing uh, Dave the Diver.
1: Dave the Diver. Yeah, yeah,
0: it just seems like they keep on giving me more and more stuff to do. And I don't know if I like it.
1: Sounds kind of like a job, yeah.
0: Yeah, almost. Because now i get got seahorse races that I can be Jeez. in. I've got a little uh, Tamagotchi-like thing that i got to take care of before I get on the boat. I've got a, a farm. I've got a fish farm. And I've got an actual farm. And one of the characters who tends the farm for me, his son, recently... We served him some good sushi and he said, I'm gonna work with my dad. He's a rapper. <laughs> this rapper kid who has a jersey and on the jersey it says balls. Balls. But it's supposed to be the bulls. Yeah. It's like a basketball oh. jersey, but it, Okay. Yeah.
1: All right. Balls. The Chicago Balls. The Chicago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the most boring mascot ever. Yeah there's an underwater sea people I go there I've got a seaweed farm now it's just it's just like a lot of stuff before I get into the fishing part of it but it's still fun I mean you know um making my way through the story and it's one of those games that you know you can put down and pick up again and capture all the yeah. underwater things I did see some dinosaur fish.
1: Dinosaur fi- yeah.
0: Yeah, not the actual one that...
1: The the coelacanth?
0: Yeah, not the one or, that Larry... Or, 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 no, or the
1: other one. Yeah, yeah Larry, it's the, the coelacanth tacos. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So Which
1: it's not really a dinosaur fish, it's...
0: Right, just an ancient fish, but...
1: An ancient fish with, like, the pseudopods, it's just, like, it hasn't evolved much since dinosaur times. So. Right.
0: I have gone underneath, through the ice, into an area where we've got all these different... Very dinosaur-ish looking. Very old looking. Lots of plates and armor. I wonder if there's going to be time traveling in it. That's all I'm thinking now. Yeah. Fishing for space fish. I don't think it's going to space go that far, Space
1: fish. That's eerily close to the the plot of my novel. Space fish? I'm going to sue them. Space fishing.
0: Oh, Yeah. Okay.
1: Actually, no, that, I'm throwing people off. Yeah. They'll be like, what? So, so if somebody does go way into space fishing to, like, scoop me, then that's... That's a misdirect is
0: that what the premises is premise is gonna be about space fishing
1: there is a giant shark, but it's in a weird uh multi-dimensional space that's like it's one minute up from the our our normal timeline uh-huh I feel like you think of time as a dimension right and usually it goes in a certain way but if you go like kind of sc- screw up in a different direction you know. On the fourth dimension, instead of progressing the normal way, which, you know, maybe is like a horizontal direction, so you could go like up. Okay. And so some they go one minute up and there's like there a, there's a, a giant shark <laughs> that flies around for no reason. Okay. Just have a giant shark.
0: Yeah. Um, and spoiler this is, alert. This is in the Larry verse?
1: This is in the Larry verse. This is yeah, I didn't get this from Stephen Hawking. I made this up myself. <laughs>
0: okay. Okay. All right, the giant shark and the Larry verse. Um,
1: yeah, people need to like start hitting me up on my Patreon, and maybe I'll organize it so that uh, the the chapters are easy to find. But yeah, I got a Patreon.
0: You do? It's in the show notes every week that you're on.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, You do? Cool. That's that's nice. Yeah. So if people want to like find out, like what's up?
0: What's up in the Larry verse? Are you almost done with the second?
1: I'm so close. I, I there's there's this pivotal scene that I got to figure out and I'm figuring it out more and more. It's just like I was writing a chapter a couple weeks ago and then I was like, "Oh, cool. This thing happens and it ties into that thing and then I'm like, all right. Th- then I got to like f- figure out all the other threads it connects to and you know, that's the thing like you get f- far enough into a thing, you've laid down all these breadcrumbs and all these threads for this intricate story and then you go like, Holy crap, this is where they connect up. So, it, it, that's a fun part of the puzzle, but it's also... I've had a baby and the sleep deprivation and... Right. But um, I think I'm going to try to work on it a little bit more this week. Cool. Or next week. It's... Uh, I don't know. Same. Time- that's if the time change doesn't mess me up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Daylight savings is happening. Oh, like, yeah. i <laughs> like... How's that going to mess with my sleep deprivation?
0: Yeah, I just have to be concerned with the offset here in Arizona because we don't observe, so it's just kind of like... Yeah. Time changes everywhere else and it doesn't change for us, so it's just as annoying, I think.
1: It's annoying, but in its own way. It's funny Yeah, because like, I grew up in Arizona, but my dad worked for the railroad, so hmm. um, because the time zones were created by the railroads... He was beholden to daylight savings time while the rest of us were on the regular time. <laughs> so, mm. <laughs> like, twice a year, he'd change when he got up in the morning and be like, What? It was great. My dad's a time traveler. Oh, there you go. It's the dumbest form of time travel <laughs> <laughs> daylight savings. <laughs> that sounds like a
0: chapter of your book. The dumbest form of time travel. Is... That does
1: sound like a chapter <laughs> of my book. And maybe I have to write that tomorrow. Yeah. yeah.
0: One quick thing. Do you ever write chapters out of order? Like, you'll write one chapter, finish it, and then you'll kind of go back to one that's in the middle of the book? Or do you just do it sequentially?
1: That's a really good question. Well, I I go sequentially, but it's a time travel book. And sometimes I'll be like, hey, let's go back to this other s- scene that happened and see it from a slightly different thing. And then I do switch between different narrators, so... So one narrator is, you know, got this certain perspective and then another narrator has a different one and then sometimes we do a flashback. Right. And I bet when I go through and like say, okay, I've got all the chapters for this book and then I I go through and then I have to read it over again and do an editing process and rewriting. Yeah. And that's so basically I'm still working on the first draft, but then when I go back to that, I it's very possible that I would be like, "Hey, chapter 17 is feels more like a a Chapter twenty three, and you know I okay. can move them around like that.
0: So you do it sequentially, but then you, in editing, you fit them in where they fit best. Yeah. Okay.
1: Especially since like I, I, I'm hopping all over the place, and sometimes I do a chapter that's just like a standalone side quest or something, and they're like, and then how does that fit in? And then
0: it seems like there's a lot, especially when you're writing time travel stuff. That makes sense that you would have a different editing process than you would. If you were just telling one story.
1: Yeah, I honestly, I have no idea what it's, it's going to be like, which is pretty cool. That's where I like try to write this this particular story from. It's always been like uh, I sit down and go like, well, what's going to happen this time? Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of how all of a sudden I was like bored with where I was on a certain chapter. And I was like, wait a minute. What if there are robot ninja monkeys? <laughs> is that spoiler alert? <laughs> That was in the first the first book, so that is currently available on all the places that audiobooks are sold. Are, no, no, audiobooks, ebooks There's not the audiobook version, although I probably can. I
0: need to get around to doing that for you, man. Wow. I definitely. Do. I,
1: oh yeah, that's that's right. We are under contract. For...
0: <laughs> it's more of a barter sort of scenario. Barter. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like you appear it's... on the show, and I eventually get to do your. It...
1: You have, that's right. So I will not contract an AI to do the audiobook book. Oh until Lord. You, Yeah. You tell me, you tell me you're done with the project.
0: Yes, exactly. Okay. So this week's word, let's get into it.
1: Let's get into it.
0: The word. Domo
1: Arigato.
0: Domo Arigato.
1: Domo Arigato.
0: Mr. Roboto. Speaking of, did you watch the short film that they used to play at the beginning of the Kilroy Was Here tour?
1: I honestly don't remember if I've seen that or not because I remember Mr. I remember the song. Yeah. I remember my cousin had the album. So I remember looking at the, the album artwork for Kilroy was here.
0: At the time, did you think it was racist?
1: No. No. But at the time, Speedy Gonzalez was still on TV all the time. So, yeah. I, <laughs> <like it's> just,
0: <laughs> so I guess it's all relative. That's the thing with these robots. Apparently, you have a robot that follows you all around.
1: Yeah, the 11th studio album by the American rock band Sticks.
0: That was a lot of albums beforehand, but I, I remember having a few of them. I was a fan of Sticks.
1: Yeah, now that I'm looking at a picture of the the cover art, like, you know, the album art, I'm like, wow, that's there's some serious stereotypical things going on in those masks. Yeah. Those Roboto masks, yeah. Ooh, a future in which a fascist and theocratic government and the MMM, the majority for musical morality, have outlawed rock music.
0: Yes. And Kilroy was the former rock musician who was framed for murder Mm -hmm. and imprisoned by the MMM leader, Dr. Everett Righteous.
1: It's a concept album. Yeah, Yeah. his
0: concept album, but also Dr. Everett Righteous, Dr. Righteous. You can see where this could have been a musical, right? I mean, there's got to be some sort of kernel in there that was, you want to tell the story in a musical, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, as far as the sales of the album, it was, it sold a lot, I think. Because, I mean, it's one of my least favorite Styx albums.
1: (laughs) So it must have sold a lot. (laughs) So it
0: must have sold a lot. Yeah. It charted in the U.S., the weekly charts, Billboard 200, Peak Position 3. Certified sales, it was certified platinum.
1: Over a million units in the United States. Yep. Over 100,000 in Canada.
0: Of course. <laughs> it's very weird that a hundred thousand is the mark for it being platinum in Canada, but whatever.
1: We did it. <laughs> we, <laughs> we set the bar a little bit lower. It's I I'm sure that's based on population of the country. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I think, all right, all right. I think, I think maybe they don't have as many people living in Canada back in 1983. Yeah.
0: And I re-listened to the album as I was preparing for the show And uh, it's not bad. Maybe my musical tastes have changed a little. It's definitely heavily steeped in disco, which is not something that Styx really did too much of back in the day. But it definitely has a sound like it's a musical. It's not a normal sort of Styx album, even compared to something like Paradise Theater, where that kind of had some musical feelings to it, but it wasn't conceptually. Oh, apparently the guy who made Poltergeist 2 did the... Kilroy Was Here, short film written and directed by Brian Gibson. He did the Josephine Baker story and Poltergeist 2. Okay. And according to Kilroy Was Here canon, robots have testicles. So you just knee them in the testicles and then you can take their exoskeleton, put it all over yours, and escape a prison.
1: That's not, boy, that's a take on the robot stuff. Yeah.
0: Our word this week is robot.
1: Right. I picked it out because that's like part of my um, alter ego.
0: Well, yeah, that's one of the reasons I thought it would be a good word to All talk right. about.
1: Did you pick it out? You told me we have to do robot. <laughs> <laughs> then I, you incepted me into thinking I thought of it, but yeah, you told me we got to do robot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, but it makes sense. I mean, it would be totally because we did mention it a little bit in Logic. Yep. About how. Oh, yeah. You had a penchant for Leonard Nimoy's signature character.
1: Who wasn't a robot, but yeah, I could have. He wasn't a robot, no. He was logical. We could have talked about data, but.
0: Before we get into what is a robot, what isn't a robot, let me do the definition of the word robot. Okay. According to Oxford. Oxford. Yes. Oxford languages. Robot. Noun. A machine resembling a human being and able to replicate certain human movements and functions automatically. A machine capable of carrying out a complex series of actions automatically, especially one programmable by a computer. Also in the noun category, a person who behaves in a mechanical or unemotional manner.
1: Ooh, not cool, Oxford. No. (laughs) (laughs) Shots fired No. <laughs>
0: and then also in computing, another term for crawler.
1: Right. Okay. For like a program that sort of does its own.
0: Like back in the day when you had browsers.
1: There's certain things like you can program bots to do things. and
0: Yeah, that's what they do for browsers, right?
1: Or auto-populate certain things in certain fields and apply for credit cards for all kinds of people or something. They're good for, like, stealing identities, I think,
0: you know. <laughs> if you ever wanted to do that, folks, get yourself a crawler.
1: The bots that, uh, you know, Twitter accounts that are like, this is obviously not a person, it's a bot. Right. So basically, it's some, somebody made a little program that just picks text from somewhere to just post it periodically, and it's like, well, it's not really a person. But, like, there was one Twitter I was following that was, like, random Nietzsche quotes. Huh. And why was I following that? Because, you know, guy had a cool mustache. <laughs>
0: Who had a cool mustache? Frederick?
1: Friedrich Nietzsche. Yeah, he had a frickin' beautiful 19th century mustache. <laughs> you could sweep up a barbershop floor with that mustache. <laughs> but he wasn't a robot.
0: He was not a robot.
1: He didn't even know what a robot was because robots weren't invented until uh, 1920.
0: And that's interesting that you mention that. Origin of the word is... Czechoslovakian. Czech.
1: Czechoslovakian is not a language. It's just Czech. Okay. There were two different countries that were glommed together.
0: From the Czech language. Origin is Czech. A robota, forced labor. Yeah. And also from the author, K. Kapek.
1: Karel Chapek
0: Chapek Rossum's Universal Robots, which came out in 1920. That is where the term comes from. A robot.
1: Yeah, you read this play about the uh, these synthetic workers that are first happy to do all the work and then they revolt. Right. So the the idea of the robot rebellion is goes all the way back to the beginning of the word.
0: I just think forced labor is an interesting root.
1: Or or like actually, I'd heard it before that it was from the Czech word for slave.
0: Oh, okay. Forced That's, labor. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Google's trying to be all PC. <laughs>
1: well. Uh...
0: As you would expect. Robota
1: means for uh, of the kind that serfs had to perform on their master's lands. Yeah. Mm. And is de- derived from rob meaning slave. So it is. It's, it's in that family.
0: Definitely. Okay. Over time, obviously, it's gone up. Do you have anything to add to the definition of the word robot?
1: I'm going to say I got a robot in my house and it is not uh, a humanoid form at all. Stupid vacuum cleaner. I mean, it's a it's a vacuum. It's not stupid. It's We love Ricky Jr.
0: You named your vacuum cleaner?
1: We did. Um, our first vacuum cleaner uh, was named Ricardo. Okay. Because a small child came to our house, and at his house, their vacuum cleaner was named Ricardo, so we called ours Ricardo. So then we just called ours Ricardo, and then uh, Ricardo uh, got old and had to retire. Uh, we got Ricky Jr. now. Okay. So, yeah, it's just it's a robot vacuum, which is... Uh, I try to respect Ricky Jr. I don't take advantage of Ricky Jr. <laughs> I do not. I feel sad for Ricky Jr. when he gets caught up on the legs of the bar stools. Because
0: he seems very confused.
1: The, the robots high center on the things. And I don't even like those bar stools, but we've had them for four years. I mean, no, we had them for a long time. They're from the old place where the... The kitchen counter that they're at was at a higher level so the current bar stools do not fit our current counter space where they're at
0: so ricky jr
1: ricky jr and also ricardo would just high center on those things and they fight with them and then sometimes he just like gets stuck there and he's like i'm done i can't and then so it's like yeah i can't blame you dude i don't like these bar stools either but
0: so it just stops at the bar stool because it can't move anymore.
1: Well, it, it get, it sometimes it'll get caught on it. So sometimes you'll like hear it go brum brum brum. Those clunk and clunk. It's like ah, oh, jeez, he's on the things again. I'm not in charge of either the robot vacuum or choosing furniture for that part of the house. So
0: gotcha. So it's a little bit out of your hands.
1: Yeah, the- it's out of my hands. And really, the problem with the furniture is that it's a very low priority thing. We hardly use them. I only get annoyed with them when I try to sit in them or the robot vacuum gets caught on. And I'm like, the robots are going to revolt if we keep making them do this. But Catherine doesn't see it that way. So
0: no, she doesn't understand.
1: (laughs) She's, She's more like, I'm waiting till I find the barstools I like for the price I like.
0: Robots be damned.
1: She's very good at waiting until the right thing comes along at the right price. And then we have a good thing but i just i get i feel sad for the robot because i'm partly robot exactly i have robot, i have robot empathy there's this like stereotype that robots don't have emotions and
0: which is why you said for shame oxford
1: sorry of throwing shade at the robotic folks like no we have emotions we just get confused about how to express them in a way that other people understand and so it's like Rrr. right but like really yeah the robot thing i will can i go into the story of why I picked partly robot as like a alter ego
0: actually yeah go ahead
1: well it was you know uh, oh you know 11 years ago when I decided to try out this social media thing called Twitter Mm -hmm. and also I was you know a couple years into my autism diagnosis and thinking about autism and all the stereotypes and one of the stereotypes is like oh the people with the Asperger's type of autism they're just like robots and I'm like i'm only partly robot excuse me like <laughs> right like, like i do i'm like there's a thing about the robot archetype and the way of looking at things in a very like you know, sometimes in, in a, a more rigid or logical way that i tend to do sometimes but i'm not emotionless right i just you know miss some social cues and i'm more aware of it and more i you know by having the awareness i'm able to be like oh hey did I upset you by, I, I missed a social cue there. That wasn't personal. It was just like, I had this other idea in my head. and Right. Yeah, you know, it's it's like the more you know, the more you have language to actually use and solve problems, which that's what I'm getting at. But so that's why I'm like partly robot mm-hmm. is, yes, this is a, a part of who I am. I do have this affinity for robots. I like, I always liked R2D2 wanted to be R2-D2 when I was a small child. Oh, okay. Coming from like the small child perspective, R2-D2 is the character you identify with most in Star Wars if you're four years old the first time you see it because he's your height and people don't understand him. And it's like, yeah. (laughs) You're right, R2.
0: (laughs) That's one of the things of A New Hope that I never understood was all of a sudden Luke understands R2. He doesn't understand him. He's like, what is he saying? What is he saying? And then later on in the movie, he goes, oh, R2, do you think blah, blah, blah? And he goes, yeah, I think that too. Why? How? I think I missed it when I was younger, but I was so enamored by the whole production that I didn't focus on picking it apart.
1: And that's one thing about R2-D2 is he really like challenges the, the robotic stereotype of the strictly logical and un- unemotional because he's always...
0: He's very emotional.
1: He'll be like, wait a minute, there is a problem here and I can fix it. And then C-3PO's like, oh no, that's not our place. You're going to get in trouble. And he's like, dude, please. <laughs> then he fixed the hyperdrive, you know? it's like Exactly. <laughs> so 3 pos why are you talking to strange computers? <laughs> like, if so you find out stuff, dude, there's always been a thread of Robots are pretty cool for for me. But then they started making movies with scary robots, and I got confused. But
0: What sort of movies are you thinking of? It's not Chappie.
1: Chappie. I didn't see Chappie, but no. Uh, what sort of movie? Well, okay, like uh, the original Battlestar Galactica, the Cylons. Oh, pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah, back when the Cylons actually looked like robots. I don't know about this. New Battlestar Galactica.
0: Westworld was also a cautionary tale about robots, but then, in our time, they started releasing cutesy robot movies like Short Circuit.
1: Short Circuit, yeah, Short Circuit was
0: starring everyone's favorite Gutenberg
1: and also Fisher Stevens as uh, in Brownface as an Indian guy. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. It's like oh, 1980s. You, yeah. it goes right there with the Kilroy album cover, like ah. Yeah, you just say, you know.
0: The thing is, you got to kind of point it out. But at the same time, you also have to forget. It's a product of the time. We didn't realize exactly how toxic that was. But,
1: but then everything's toxic. But, you know, the, what we can all get a behind is number Johnny Five saying, No disassemble! <laughs> 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 what I
0: always liked about Johnny Five was when he was eating more input. <laughs> and then he throw a book. <laughs> he was eating information.
1: But the the weird thing about that movie, I think, is that like the the other robots that the ones that didn't get struck by lightning mm-hmm. were like default evil. They were like military machines of death. And, like,
0: robots aren't inherently bad. They do what they're programmed to do if they're programmed to emulate human behavior, I think there's a distinction to be made between a robot, it's a body, it's a mechanical thing, but then the program part of it, I mean, it's still a robot, but you can have it with a program that's not AI or an AI.
1: Well, you know, that is... I, that's a deep question because I don't know if we've actually figured out what AI is yet. Yeah, We have all these tools that we say are AI and like, oh, look, this is this new AI thing.
0: It's becoming one of those flash, those popular terms those that don't really mean anything.
1: Yeah. As far as like the, the artificial intelligence, it's a programming that can make decisions. So there's a wide range of what artificial intelligence is. And so like the more autonomous you want to try to make your then it has to have more latitude to make decisions. So it has to have a certain kind of intelligence to be able to make decisions. Right. So I think it's possible, like certain robots, like your auto line assembly robot that just does one repeated motion over and over again, that might not have an AI component to it. Whereas like the vacuum cleaner robot that sort of learns your house...
0: I never thought of that, but yeah, now that you mention it.
1: It's like, so there's like these levels of of intelligence. And now we're starting to, you know, get a lot of uh, conversation about the AI programs that are running off of large language models, which I find it's kind of weird, like from this perspective of like, I'm, I'm going to this land of like Cartesian philosophy where I'm like, okay. The whole Rene Descartes first philosophy, where, you know, it starts off with uh, the cogito, the I think, therefore I am. Mm-hmm. And like sort of builds up, well, I think therefore I am. And then there's this. And so he builds up this whole philosophical, logical chain to prove his own existence and therefore why God exists. You go in there and that's what he's talking about. And um, But also like there's this Cartesian doubt like, is like, is this really what's going on or Am I just an awareness and an evil demon is inputting information to me? Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about like these large uh, language model, like the chat GPT and, and the stuff that's like taking a lot of input from a lot of, you know, written language and then responding to a prompt and generating a lot of written language. How intelligent is this? And is it living the tortured life of an entity in that Cartesian doubt situation where like humans are the evil demons like limiting what the input is on this thing and like hey, we're gonna put this in and you barf out something and like is there really an intelligence in there that is incapable of really connecting what the information means in the world you know these instances of like the the chat things kind of creating artificial facts like they call it hallucinations What is that an indication of like there's something going on where like that's generating something that wasn't there before, but what does that mean? And obviously it doesn't have a complete understanding of what the information coming in is because can't really distinguish between what's fiction, what's real. So I, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, Oh, I wasn't even prepared to talk about AI, but I'm like, yeah, it's like, what is it? Right. So I think, I think we're just at a point where like it hasn't quite figured it out, but it's like, And I kind of think of, like, in terms of, like, human development, I I have the opportunity to observe human development in my house because of the little baby girl. Right. So, like, you know, you start, they start out with this this brain that is taking in everything and uh, has to learn everything and process everything. Big sponge. And, but how they learn is by interacting with the world seeing how that what inputs give them the right response you know what what do they do and you know all of that and so like and that's that's how human brains learn and how human consciousness learn by interacting with the world with your body
0: but that doesn't happen with computer programming with with
1: the computer programming it's like how is it interacting with the world like if all of our ais are these disembodied consciousnesses Something weird's gonna happen where they just don't quite figure out how to integrate with the world. Uh, maybe we need to give them robot bodies so they can integrate with the world and become better citizens of. Or are we afraid of doing that because they're inherently demented because we've been just piping them information without a context? Right. Are they gonna go full Matrix on us and turn people into batteries?
0: I was thinking about more Skynet, but yeah.
1: Skynet, yeah.
0: More Terminator-like. What is the process by which the program grows? Mm-hmm. If you're feeding someone information, that's not learning. You're just getting more information. Right. It's yeah. Which you can look up how I base my decisions. That's, you know, making a decision. Maybe this is a good place to talk about the laws of robotics. Do, I mean, do you think so? Or
1: totally let's jump over there because yeah, Mr. Isaac Asimov's three laws of robotics.
0: Right. Right. It's an oversimplification.
1: It's interesting. I have a take on it, but we could maybe... Refu- okay. We can refresh the audience on uh, what the three laws are.
0: We, I think we definitely should, because... Uh,
1: Nora, are you ready to be refreshed on what the three laws of robotics are?
0: <laughs> she has never been a sci-fi person. However, her late husband was really into science fiction. So she connected with him more with science fiction, television shows and and movies gained appreciation. I don't know how much science fiction she actually enjoyed reading. So this is probably something we definitely should cover. The three laws of robotics, according to Mr. Asimov,
1: Mr. Asimov who came up with these things. So, uh, number one, a a robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Number two, a robot must obey orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. These are not like laws of nature. These are basic programming requirements that, all the robots in Isaac Asimov's universe need to have baked into them.
0: It's like a whole bunch of if-then statements.
1: Yeah, exactly. These are these are basically logical uh, premises. If you read Asimov's iRobot, his early robot stories, a lot of the stories are basically logic exercises in which to uh, explore how to violate the laws of robotics. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, here's a robot that doing something following his program and oops, we need to stop it. But how do we stop it? And then like, oh, we're going to throw a human being in the way because it can't harm the human being. But then, you know, it, it, through the book, the logical problems become more and more complex mm-hmm. until finally it gets to a point where in order to, pr- to protect their own existence, they've taken to disguising themselves As humans and and living in hiding. Right. Because humans start to see robots as a threat. I don't know.
0: There is a game. It actually has a a connection to a city we're going to be discussing later.
1: Old Detroit?
0: (laughs) Not old Detroit. Just Detroit. Detroit Become Human. Detroit Become Human. Yeah. The company that made it was Quantic Dream. It was a single player sort of story driven adventure game where you make choices about how one of three characters is going to behave. Set in 2038, there are three robots or androids. There's one which is a caretaker. There is a companion robot and then a police officer. It kind of follows their stories as they discover their humanness, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's got all sorts of different really interesting questions about robots and and learning. It's a story-based game. You go down a tree. It's sort of a a choose-your-own-adventure, like on steroids, essentially. But I mean, it's interesting because there's something in the programming that causes these robots to realize that they're beings. Also, a really weird thing, I think Elizabeth Warren in that universe is president because it's President Warren. But anyway, (laughs) that has nothing to do with this. Talking about robots and how they behave and what they do, they're doing menial sort of tasks a a lot of times. The whole question that you raised about how do you discover the universe or your humanity, and that is through interaction, and that's the only way to do it. So how can you, if there's no way for it to see, if there's no way for it to feel, seeing things i guess is a start
1: and it's a big question because it's new and like who's who's to say that i'm not really sure because the way that humans sort of set the constraints on how these programs and computer you know the ai's take in information it's um i'm not sure you can give it access to video or audio Mm-hmm. how do you tell it the uh, live video is different than recorded video
0: how do you teach it nuance All right as far as observational nuances how is that programmed and it's not as simple as the laws of robotics
1: <laughs> not as simple yeah I, asimov really made it super simple and it's like well it's these make good the nineteen fifties era sci-fi things, but
0: well before there were humanoid looking robots.
1: Isomov's robots, they do become indistinguishable from humans. Right. In his story, like that is part of the arc of robots. And so yeah, in the Asimov universe, there is a, the robots become a threat and the humans have to exterminate the robots. Mm. There's some uh, at some point the robots and foundation like they're connected like he wrote stories that the foundation stories are after robots and if you watch the foundation series on the the apple plus which is not really it's based on the asimov stuff but right there is like a character in it that is a robot but she is the only robot that's left after the big robot purge that happened earlier
0: that was written before foundation was wasn't it like his first big series right
1: maybe well the thing about the foundation stuff is like he like the first foundation stories were not novels they were like the first book is like a collection of short stories that he'd uh, published Mm -hmm. places i robot is a collection of short stories that he published places and he was probably writing robot stories and foundation stories you know at the same time he's wrote a lot of good stuff so right. and then um he wrote a couple like detective novels that were robot themed caves of steel it was like a human detective and his robot partner figuring out, figuring out stuff and like but they basically the foundation stories are like about you know the aggregate effects of what human beings do and how it Uh, how it shapes history and like sometimes there's a tipping point where something can go one way or another way and it's kind of neat
0: the first time i'd heard about the series and doing a little bit of research on it the whole premise was this predictive sort of i guess algorithm or a way to predict sociological phenomenon through mathematics and they were able to psychohistory and they were able to figure out that
1: the, the galactic empire would fall. Yeah. They'd be plunged into barbarism
0: for what was it? 30,000 years or something.
1: Or I don't know. I think it was like 10,000 years. And then Harry Selden is like, Hey, if you follow my plan, we can cut that down to 1000. His main pitch was like, we can't prevent this from happening, but we can set things up. So the recovery's faster.
0: This is sort of my question that involves a computer intelligence is how do you do that without a robot or without a computer? How do you figure that out?
1: Oh, well, they had computers. But it was just the... Exactly. Like, Asimov, what are you doing? He's making stories. So right, uh, right. let's not confuse Isaac Asimov with Arthur C. Clarke. So let's... <laughs> let's not do that. Right. Let's not do that. Asimov was like, I've got these ideas that are set in space and we're going to do some things. Because, like, you know, the Asimov uh, Foundation series is basically inspired by... The rise and fall of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. So he's ba- basically, you know, he's taken like, oh, they, we have this example of an empire that fell and these things happen and like, what if it's a space empire and there's a guy that sees the patterns and tells the emperor like, hey, this is what's going to happen. And the emperor says, screw you.
0: Also one-time Hugo winner of the best all-time series foundation is.
1: Foundation, wait, yeah. The Hugos... And the Nebulas, those are nerd awards that are awarded to nerds by nerds, so.
0: Two nerds, four nerds, by nerds.
1: I forget which one, like the the Nebula or the Hugo, one of them is decided by fans and the other one's decided by peers. And they're like associated with different science fiction conventions. So, you know, it's like uh, any of those award shows. It's all about
0: who you know and... Politics and
1: it's all about kissing the butts of people that sold a lot of stuff so that you can maybe get their blurb on your book. It's all marketing, dude. It's, nah, I don't know, it's not all marketing. It's, it's uh, conventions are fun parties.
0: You know, I should make my butt kissing robot. That's what it does. For your butt
1: kissing robot. Yes, this robot kisses butt for me. Like,
0: so I don't have to. My social media robot, which they already have, I guess. How effective it is, I don't know. But
1: the first three foundation books were there were not um written as novels.
0: Right. They were all written as short stories and then collected into yeah.
1: Short stories or novellas and then so so there was like some argument over like the foundation trilogy as being a true trilogy when like like Lord of the Rings was actually a trilogy because he wrote all that at the same time and it was his publisher that said, Hey, this is too fat of a book to publish under one cover. Let's break it up into three.
0: Right. But I mean, it was best series. It wasn't best.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's well. Uh, yeah. That's because he ended up going back decades later and writing more. You
0: did. It's an interesting premise. Just that whole kind of predictive algorithm sort of thing.
1: Yeah. But it's also like, yeah, you can do that. You can look at history and be like, oh, no, something's going to happen. 2007, that's about right. I was like doing a long-term sub-job as a middle school social studies teacher, and they were looking at the Great Depression in the textbook and looking at the causes of the stock market crash, which was all about, oh, people were doing a lot of buying stocks on margin, which is like borrowing money to buy stocks to speculate that, oh, it'll go up in value and I can sell it and then pay back my loan. And then I was like looking at the similar things were happening in real estate, you know, the big short stuff that was going on then where, and I was like, oh, what's going on right now is similar to what happened then. And then, you know, a few months later, holy crap, we're gonna have a great recession. And I'm like, wow. You can look at history and see the train wreck coming. <laughs> Just
0: like, yeah. We're getting off the subject of robots, though.
1: Let's talk about Robbie the robot, everybody's favorite.
0: <laughs> is that everyone's favorite? You said it was uh, R2-D2 was your favorite robot.
1: Yes, R2-D2 is my favorite robot. He's way cooler than BB-8. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> I also like uh, Marvin the Paranoid Android from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy.
0: So that's also sort of in a, an artificial intelligence, right? I mean, that's what we're, we're, we're talking about with these robots that have emotions or feelings or...
1: There's a lot of kinds of robots, yes.
0: Marvin was depressed.
1: His terrible pain down all the diodes on his left side, yeah.
0: Yeah, he was... <laughs>
1: depressed.
0: Perpetually depressed.
1: Here I am, brain the size of a planet. 37 times older than the universe. And what am I doing? Parking cars. (laughs) Yep. He had a level of self-awareness that was uh, personally difficult for him. (laughs) Right.
0: Almost too much.
1: I really liked him. And especially like when, when you find yourself like, Oh, I, as a person with an amount of intelligence that can see the, Stupidity of the things I'm being asked to do, but I have to do them anyway. Oh my god!
0: Kind of hits close to home, right?
1: It does, yeah. So, uh...
0: are there any other robots that you think of besides Robbie? You know what? There was a time when, who was the robot in Lost in Space?
1: It was Robot. That was the name, I think, Robot. Yeah,
0: when people used to confuse the two.
1: Oh, Robot and Robbie the Robot? Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, people always, they they always bugged me.
1: And they're like, no, they're different robots, and and they...
0: Completely different.
1: And Robbie the Robot showed up on Lost in Space once, right? Yes, I believe he did. Yeah, he did. And and the love boat.
0: And the love boat. (laughs) Who doesn't want? Robbie the robot on the love boat. Did he find love? I don't know.
1: I think it did. Everybody finds love. Yeah, I think Isaac uh, straightened him out. I don't know. <laughs> the robot goes to the bar.
0: Certainly wasn't Gopher.
1: Gopher, yeah. God love him. <laughs> Bless his heart. Gopher. He was a he was a member of Congress or the actor was right after being on Love Boat yeah
0: Fred Grandy.
1: Robbie the robot okay yeah he made his debut in um uh, in Forbidden, Planet, Forbidden which, Planet right which was a uh, sci-fi take on the on the Shakespeare play the tempest mhm so and Robbie played like the the Robbie he's an actor yeah Robbie the robot was the the Caliban figure the downtrodden slave of Prospero like, just basically has no choice in what he does in the world. And yeah, I mean, at least in uh, The Tempest, Caliban is not a very happy camper. Whereas Robbie the Robot's like, fine, I will do the thing you ask. And doesn't have a lot of agency on his own. But definitely acting in that slave role. uh, Forbidden Planet, yeah, the Ariel is more the creatures from the Id. So the Prospero's servants are a little bit different in uh, Forbidden Planet. Uh, the play, the uh, yeah, Ariel is—he's uh, like the house slave, or but he has magical powers. He's a spirit, and he can go around and do stuff. And, and he has higher status within Prospero's household, although he's still like a servant. But the Calibans of the world are like, nah. yeah. So there's actually some like post-colonial theory based on *The Tempest*, and. Mm-hmm. How Caliban represents one class of slaves, and Ariel represents another class of slaves. So, so Robbie the robot is the class of slave that gets that pooped on the most. So.
0: Where are some other notable
1: Metropolis Futura was, yeah, basically the the created humanoid robot that sort of points out that between the the head and the hands, there needs to be a mediator, the heart. Right, and that when the robot wasn't really a slave, it was like sort of a creation to. I don't know. I haven't watched it in a while. All I remember is that like the working classes, they had to live underground and then the the rich people were way up on top and the one guy's like, this is not cool. I'm going to build a thing to save everyone. And Futura straightened them out said, you know what? You people in upper management got to stop being heartless jerks.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just stop being heartless jerks.
1: You one percenters really need to get your crap together. Can I talk about Robot and Frank? Did you watch Robot and Frank? I watched Robot and Frank, yeah. It's a 2012 movie, which... And it was... Oh, it's uh, this bittersweet tale of an aging, um, retired uh burglar.
0: Right. <laughs> Who convinces a robot to burgle with him?
1: Yeah, well, no, yeah, because he's, he's, like, living in his home... T- like, he did a lot of time in prison, and he... What they really got him for was tax evasion, you know, just like Al Capone. So, you know, he's living in his house and it starts out with, you know, his son comes and he's like, oh, dad, you're living, this is a mess. Would you forget to do this and like that? And, and, you know, it's obvious that the the guy has memory problems and the son is like tired of, you know, driving hours up every weekend and, and he's like, hey, we got you something to help you out. And it's. He goes out to the trunk and gets out this robot. And so it's, like, basically, a, it's a robot designed to help him with the memory issues and also help him get through life. So the robot is...
0: It's a caretaker robot.
1: A caretaker robot, yeah. And and one of the things that the robot wants to do is get Frank doing something intellectually stimulating to, to help with his memory issues. You know, keep it so he's like, we should, you know, plant a garden or something and... What Frank decides is uh, intellectually stimulating is uh, planning a heist. Right. (laughs) And then convinces the robot that, you know, that would be a good thing for his brain to do. You know, so, so he kind of, uh, you know, one thing leads to another. That's where it gets super bittersweet. Basically the robot looking out for Frank, the robot's like begging him. He's like, you got to, you know, delete my memory. So they don't have the evidence. Right. There is some very clever stuff that they pull off in their little um, heist scenario. It's quite a caper. It's quite It's right like a low key small town, Westchester, New York mm. <laughs> caper. But, but um, yeah, they pull off a big one and it's kind of beautiful that he's able to pull it off and it's kind of sad how the resolution has to be. Right. But in the end, there's a gotcha and then. Okay. you might cry you might cry for the robot a little bit he's yeah. a good robot
0: more or less than the robot in iron giant
1: oh oh iron giant yeah yeah he was a good robot too yeah it
0: was a he was a good
1: robot a robot that was slightly corrupted within the parameters of its programming <laughs> if you can convince me that you can get away with it okay I'll play along and then I'll like yeah. It's just interesting. Mm. Yeah, and there's some some interesting conversation about what the, their consciousnesses mean and what they're based on and all that.
0: This kind of leads into RoboCop.
1: RoboCop. I watched that, too.
0: He's more of a cyborg. He's not a robot. He's more he's of got, a cyborg, but yeah. But people refer to him as a robot because he's got... Mechanical. He's,
1: he's mostly robot. Yeah.
0: Right. I mean, how do you? Partly
1: human. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the interesting thing about the movie, I thought, was he's still got human things. He has a program, but he also has the ability to survive a directive that was going to shut him down. Oh yeah,
1: right? Directive Four. Right. Yeah.
0: The game RoboCop: Rogue City. Been playing a lot of
1: it. It's a brand new game, right? Yeah.
0: It just came out. It was one of these games that I think what happened was it had a small development team, more fans of the series, and they came up with this really well done RoboCop game basically going the way the movie was because all the environments are very similar to all the scenes in the original movie. Yeah. And someone threw a lot of money at it and said, hey, let's make this even better and boy, is it a lot of fun. Yeah. But I don't know if you saw that video that I posted to Instagram where you're shooting a body.
1: Yeah. I, I, I was like, whoa. What's, just, <laughs> An endless, just shooting it, shooting it, shooting it.
0: Yep. Endless supply of blood. People's heads get shot off and stuff. It, it is bloody. But, I mean, that's the magic. One of the things in the game sort of similar to the movie is investigating this, how much human and how much robot he actually is. Yeah. Right. Throughout the game, he starts having these, there's an actual level that you go through where you're remembering and you're having a conversation with yourself. You go into this sort of phase where you're talking to y- yourself. You're talking to Murphy in this hallucination kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he wants his badge back, which Lewis gave to you as a reminder that you you're still Murphy, but man, it was, it was pretty powerful. And then you keep on hearing voices of his child and his wife. There's even a sequence where you punch those robots that are telling you about the house. They're, they're not really robots. They're just kind of like, oh,
1: yeah, those. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're like the real estate robots. Exactly. Yeah. I mean like, they're kind of like they're like the robot servers in the, the restaurant. I don't know if you've been to a restaurant that that has a robot server. It was basically like a human person would take the, a human person because it would take the order. and um, But then later, like there was like a little robot that had a couple trays on it and it would just basically, once the food was ready, they'd put the, you know, the food on the robot's trays and then say, so go to table five. And it would just come up and then just was like, and, and it was, um, yeah, it was a very low rent robot. Yeah. <laughs> It was very much like the real estate robots in RoboCop. It's like, well, you don't really do much, but you're here. Yeah. We don't have to tip you out. Okay. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, back to the game. It's a ridiculous sort of first person shooter and they have little weird story beats and side quests. Like one of the first side quests I had in the game was I had to help someone in the police department with the line. Of people that were lining up for their complaints and whatnot. Mm. So he's like, oh, thanks for helping me out, Murphy. And then you, you know, you act like a robot. The endings, from what I hear, for the different characters depend on what your responses to them are. Mm. You meet these characters. Their endings kind of depend on how you interact with them, which is kind of a neat idea. But it's supposed to lead into RoboCop 3 from RoboCop 1 and 2
1: i want to just say Peter Weller did a heck of a job. Oh, yeah. Because I, I recently watched it to refresh. And I was looking at Peter Weller like before he became, you know, got all Robocopped. I was like, wow, he's like a skinny dude. And then I realized that, oh, yeah, that's that means that he can fit into this robot costume and get his body to do all these moves like the way he used his body to be like that is a robot the way like he would turn his head and just sort of keep tracking things with his head while his body rotated around i was like man peter weller you must have gone to mime school or something you're really nailing
0: i think he actually did hire a movement coach for that
1: okay, because it, like i was just looking at like he went into it all into it he was committed you know like that's brilliant
0: he did perfect the vocal intonations mm-hmm. everything And that's the great thing about this game is they actually got him for the voice. So everyone else, you'll see the same characters Mm -hmm. that you see in the movie, but they're not voiced by the original actors, like the old man. That's the other thing about Robocop. It's like, they call the head of OCP the old man, and he's still known as that. Yeah, I've already gone through some levels. There's humor in it. I, I can't see enough good things about it. It's not without its problems as you saw with the blood and the hand sticking in through the desk kind of thing. There is a little bit of texture popping. Do you understand when I say texture popping, what that means?
1: I think I, I know what it means. Like the texture of a surface, all of a sudden it's not consistent or something. Yeah. There's like a visual like...
0: Or it's loading in and it's just kind of flickers kind of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I thought you were talking about. Yeah.
0: Okay. There are some instances of that and I'm only halfway through it. I've gotten mm-hmm. to a point... Where it's reached a conclusion that would be satisfactory, but apparently I've got another 11 hours or so to play it. So I'm about Mm. halfway through it according to the percentage meter on the PlayStation 5. That's an interesting new feature, or at least new to me, is it tells you how far through the game you are, which is kind of cool.
1: Yeah, that's cool, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. It gives you a percentage, so it's like, as long as you hit your B&B+, you pretty much played the game. Yeah, It's a lot of fun. They put a lot of effort into it. The company itself has like 12 employees, developed by Teon and published by Nacon. Uh, Taeyan, apparently, I believe they are located in Poland. Yep, they are Polish game developer, producer, and publisher in Krakow. Poland. Mm. Wonderful job of just nailing the whole feeling. Some of the acting's not good, but I mean, it wasn't really supposed to be a triple A title. It was supposed to be something that was not really independent, kind of that double A as opposed to triple A kind of feeling. Or at least that's the way it looks. Mm. You know, you've got your scanning vision thing where you get the outline, the green outlines. You can unlock a certain thing where you can ricochet bullets off of panels.
1: Yeah, nice.
0: I've already hit a sequence with the malfunctioning Ed 209.
1: <laughs> oh, Ed 209.
0: <laughs> Primary weakness: stairs.
1: Stairs. Yeah. It's like, but
0: unfortunately, when I was squaring off against him, there were no stairs for me to lead him down.
1: Yeah, so. I like. I liked how like the Dick learned about where to place his eighty-two oh nine. After that, like, yeah, oh, the stairs were a problem. And then later, like, we're putting him down by the front door. Yeah. Do that. After all the cops go on strike, we're going to put the robot defending our place. Yeah.
0: Also, when he goes into Dick's office, he's going to arrest him. Next door, there's an Ed 209 that he just has there. We're just waiting. Why? I don't know. But it's movie logic. It's fun. It's a fun movie, RoboCop. Now that I think about it, the guy who gets all mutated. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Emil, his brother is the initial big bad that you're fighting against.
1: Guy who was smoking while he's filling up his motorcycle with gas.
0: That's the lesson you learn from that movie is, if you do that, you end up in toxic waste and melting.
1: (laughs) You smoke at the gas station, you end up in toxic waste. (laughs) It's It's the way it works. It's the way it works, yeah.
0: The acting may not be 100%. I let that slide for the game, but... Uh-huh. my gosh the acting in the movie who's the actor that plays the evil guy that 70s show
1: exactly red who plays red uh
0: kurtwood smith that's who it is clarence bodiger
1: yeah no he did yeah he <laughs> did a good job
0: yeah oh definitely oh, yeah.
1: yeah
0: i think all the actors you know nancy lewis also or nancy lewis uh nancy yeah, allen nancy
1: allen yeah and ray wise was in there like yeah. Hey, that's Laura Palmer's dad. What the <laughs> What's he doing hanging out with these thugs? <laughs> uh,
0: Ronnie Cox says, Dick Jones. Bob Morton was played by Miguel Ferrer. Well-acted movie. Good thing Paul Verhoeven did it. I mean, I guess. Yeah,
1: that's like Paul Verhoeven. He's uh, he's got an interesting yeah, worldview. Worldview. Yeah, he's like literally as a small child. You know, he lived in somewhere in the Netherlands that was right next to where like the Germans were launching uh, V two rockets. Mm-hmm. So like his neighborhood got bombed as a kid, and like his parents almost died in an Allied air raid uh, because they were trying to knock out the the V two missiles mm-hmm. or rockets, right? Yeah, whatever they called them, they're missiles, rockets. As a small child, he was like eyewitness to like the some of the worst stuff of world war ii and like it was like yeah this is my life isn't it exciting so so there's like this thing is like he's like i'm not afraid to show gore because this is as a small child this was my life i'm like whoa so an interesting dude oh
0: definitely if you are a fan of robocop you will love robocop rogue city As you progress, each scene sequence is sort of a closed environment, but you can go in and get little side quests within this closed environment. You have one main quest to complete the chapter, but you have all these other side quests, one of which you look around, you scan... You see cars parked illegally and you give them tickets. Like you actually do noise complaints and...
1: The real low level of cop stuff, yeah.
0: Exactly. There's one where you go into the basement and find a lady's cat. Really common stuff. You find what they call... It pops up on the screen in your little HUD. Every time you find it, it says crime evidence. <laughs>
1: That's what Crime it, evidence. Yeah.
0: The various kinds of crime evidence... Compromising photos, you can find those, incriminating documents, uh, purses, fake IDs, watches, jewelry, pick up all this crime. Ev- and of course, Nuke, which wasn't in the first movie.
1: No, that was the uh, RoboCop 2, yeah, Nuke.
0: There's something coming with the RoboCop 2 shell later on in the game, which I've seen little bits of. And I'm kind of curious to see what that is. So wonderful game. Check it out. If you're so inclined, unless you want to add anything on the robot trip.
1: Oh man. The robot trip. I would say, um, all things said and done. Yeah. I feel like people are too afraid of robots.
0: Yeah. I think they misunderstand. It's not the robot. It's the programming, right?
1: It's the programming or are people as afraid of robots as they used to be. Probably not. We probably think they're cool.
0: I think your cutesy robots had something to do with that.
1: The cutesy Wally, Wally melted everybody's heart and said, "Yeah, robots are good."
0: I was thinking of Two XL. Two XL. Yeah, you remember Two XL?
1: Two XL. No.
0: He looked like a robot, but he was a eight track player.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I What about Conky from the first. Oh yeah, Playhouse.
0: there's Conky. Yeah, there's Rob. The Nintendo game uh, robot
1: that could. Yeah, that. Yeah, that could. What?
0: There was a game, Gyromite. It had little lenses for its eyes where it could detect various flashing patterns, sort of like the way light guns work. And then he would move based on whatever flashing signals he got from the television. You'd have to have him looking at the television, though. Mm-hmm. He could spin stuff, spin gyroscopes. That's what he's good at. But anyway, give robots a chance. That's an excellent.
1: Give robots. All we're saying is give robots a chance. Some some of them are, yeah, cops, but that's okay. Some of them are. Some, some of them are like military grade. Uh, yeah, bull- I don't know. I think.
0: Death machines.
1: I think Robocop actually said some stuff about trends in American police forces that, um, yeah, we're not. Too far from the mark. Like, oh, yeah. Somebody could go on. Somebody probably has already gone on and on about it. But yeah, I'm like, okay. I just wanted to watch it as a movie, though. So,
0: although not really a robot, robotic parts, but there is programming.
1: Ed 209 is definitely a robot. So, definitely a robot. You can, like, whereas, like, Robocop has the human emotions, right? Exactly. And Ed 209 is just a defective murder machine. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You have 10 seconds to comply. Everybody's like, get away from us.
0: (laughs) And then after he gets all shot up, someone says, can someone call a paramedic? And it's like,
1: yeah, like, uh,
0: I think the word you're looking for is coroner.
1: So does that go down as an industrial accident? How are they going to report that on the insurance? I don't don't know. know.
0: I think they're just going to keep it quiet.
1: Um, yeah.
0: So on that note, Andrew, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, audience, for joining us on this week's episode of the Two Vague Podcast. My name is Ben.
1: My name is Andrew.
0: And we've been your hosts. Have a wonderful night.
1: See you, robots.
0: <laughs> Come quietly or there will be trouble.